You're listening to the Lawyers with Purpose Practice Success Podcast, hosted by Lisa Rozier, featuring attorney Dave Zimpano, along with frequent guests. Whether you're a seasoned estate planning attorney, an attorney looking to add estate planning and elder law to your existing list of practice areas, or you're just starting out, this podcast will give you a solid plan for success. Listen now as Dave and his guests share their personal journeys to practice success and the insights they learned along the way. Hello, everyone. I'm Lisa Rozier, Director of Marketing and Sales here at Lawyers with Purpose. And today I am joined with Dave Zampano himself. You are listening to the Lawyers with Purpose Practice Success Podcast. And what a great um, intro to our topic of conversation today, Dave. Yeah. yeah. It's that everybody wants to know, how do I become successful at running yeah. a practice of law? Yeah. So like, let's, let's just kick it off. You know, in your experience, what makes a successful law firm and quite honestly, um, what makes you qualified to answer that question? <laughs> I just you know, saying, I, mean, I could say you've been doing, I know you've been doing this for 30 years and all this great stuff, but you know, I know you Dave. So let's, let's dig in. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's important to jump back a little bit. Um, well, I, I'm the youngest of 10 kids, 10, 10 huh? kids. And, uh, we grew up in a family business, uh, all four of my grandparents came from Italy and my mother's father uh, started a wholesale food and paper distribution in 1927, which is still being currently run today by my brothers in the third generation. Now, why do I say that? Uh, I didn't know it, but um, you know, everybody kind of grows up and goes to elementary school and does their education, which I did. Obviously went all the way through law school, got my CPA, but I, I got a whole nother education. I never knew I was getting. I, I, I grew up in an entrepreneurial household. Um, but what makes it interesting is my mother was the entrepreneur. Uh, my mom, um, who I recently lost, was a celebration at the age of 95. Uh, a great life. Yeah, phenomenal life. Um, she, uh, I tell the story, in the 1940s, uh, her father had the business and it was doing very well, but his key salesperson and he were out for an extended period of time due to illness. So he had to send my mother out um, to, to do some of the business. And, and some of the companies called my grandfather and said, don't you ever send a woman into my store again. Wow. To do a man's job. That's and the reason why I tell that story is because that was my mother. That's the house I grew up in. And just 20 years after that, in the mid 60s, she took that business over from my grandfather and was a, a woman owned business and a woman CEO in 1965, you know, long before there is even such a thing. Right. I love it. That's, that's, that's the household I grew up in. And so what makes me qualified? I, I'll say I got my fair first paper route. I want to say I was uh, 13 maybe 12, and it was held, It was handed down from several of my brothers that were older than me. And I remember I had just a Sunday route. And it's the weirdest thing. Here I am, a 10, 11, 12-year-old kid, and I just delivered papers on Sundays. And one of my best friends who lived next door had the weekly route. He delivered papers six days a week and got Sundays off. And interestingly, in the short time that I ran that, I made more money in my one-day-a-week route than he did in his six-day-a-week route. I also did some other innovative things when, you know, it was one thing you had to deliver the papers on Sunday morning, which took me about an hour and a half, but then I'd have to go back out later in the week to collect. 
right? They get paid for it. Right, right. And what I did is I, I was proactive and I met with each of my customers and said, look, would you be willing to pay me in advance or pay me monthly? Uh, or uh, would you be willing to leave the money on Sunday mornings in an envelope? 95% of my customers agreed to do one of those two things. So I never even had to collect. Or if I collected, it was once a month. So I was kind of innovative at the time, not realizing it. I, um, I remember when I was five and six and seven years old, my family, uh, my grandfather created a spice line, Abaco Spices, which is still in business 96 uh, years later. Great. And uh, I used to pack spices and I was the youngest and, and we get paid 25 cents a case. And I used to outpack all my brothers because I would, I didn't realize I was doing this, but I would systematize how I packed the spices. You know, they would do one bottle at a time, stick one bottle and put the one bottle in the big container, fill the one bottle, wipe it off, cap it, label it, and then go to the second bottle. What I did is I got 10 cases of bottles out. First, I put all the labels on the bottles. Then I stood all the bottles up and just poured it in all the bottles and then capped it and put it back in the cases. So go. I was out. So why did I do that? I don't know. Um, it started there when I was young. Um, but what happened over time was uh, I went to school in college and then I decided to go to law school. And I remember my mother begging me uh, in 1987 to go into the business with my brothers. And I said, Mom, I got higher aspirations. I'm going to law school. <laughs> so I went to law school and I said, I'm not going to do all this. I'm going to go be a lawyer. Well, what I learned uh, in my first five or six, seven years of being a lawyer was I really wasn't a lawyer. I was still really an entrepreneur. And all that changed is what I was building as a business. I was building my law firm as a business. So when I came out of law school, I started at a regional law firm that did basically insurance defense. And there was this big, fat, gray-haired guy in the corner who did the wills. And I wanted to do wills and estate planning. And um, they brought me in to do that. Well, um, back in the day, the revocable living trust was just starting to come of age. And I started doing them in the law firm. Like, what are you doing? Well, I was their highest grossing first year associate they ever had that brought in business. I brought in more business because I started doing this revocable living trust and they started giving me the clients. Well, what happened was by the time I finished my second year, I was so successful, they fired me. <laughs> and I tell that story because it's really funny. I really, it's a true story. Sounds they like fart. a little dabble of innovation going on there. Well, that's what happened. What happened <laughs> remember, I was dealing with a traditional law firm and yeah. here's this, and I pardon the phrase, but this is the word they use. In comes this young whippersnapper he yep. starts doing all this stress stuff and all the clients like it and they like him. And so what they said is, Dave, we love what you're doing, but we don't know what you're doing. So you can't stay here. Um, you have to leave. I'm sorry. Will you please take all of your clients and can we re continue to refer all of our clients to you that need that work? <laughs> <laughs> so how, am I qualified to have this conversation? Well, I would say uh, inherently, this entrepreneurial element of my life has always been there. But what qualifies me is not what happened up until that point, but what happened since that point. Right, right. So in 1999, a mere five years into it, my practice was doubling every year. And I'm like, what the heck am I going to do? I was just a solo practitioner. I didn't have the fat gray-haired guy in the corner. So I joined the National Legal Organization. 
and this was the predominant legal and really the only national legal organization. Uh, and it was for estate planning attorneys. And there was 1,200 members across the country where I can get on this thing called the listserv. It was the coolest thing. And I could ask a question and I'd have attorneys from all over the country giving me their opinion on how they would handle something. What was really cool about that, when I was innovating things like revocable living trust that no attorneys in my local community ever heard of, these 1,200 lawyers used them all the time. So I go, oh, no, no, that's common. People don't understand. Yeah, we'll get there. So I began to work in this national legal organization. We would once a quarter, every three months, we would go to somewhere in the country, East Coast, West Coast, Central. And, and you know, any member that wanted to go to this week-long training would go. And I started going every quarter. And I got to, I mean, there would be between 300 and 500 lawyers from around the country. And I'd get to know many of them. Well, little did I know, I was just being me again. Right. I was just doing what Dave does. And within a year, uh, people were asking a question. What are you doing? How is your business growing so much? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm using this trust and like what kind of trust? And I said, well, it's an irrevocable trust that you can protect assets from, but you could still be the trustee as the grantor and the assets are still protected and um, they're exempt from long term care. Uh, uh, benefit, Medicaid if you need to qualify for Medicaid. And they're like, what are you talking about? You can't be the trustee of your own irrevocable trust. <laughs> okay, here we go again, right? So here's Dave, the innovator, the entrepreneur. But this time it was a much tougher group. It's lawyers. Right. And so really quickly, I, I started sharing with them what I've been doing and, um, and how successful it was. And that trust now has become a whole new genre in the legal industry, yeah, the IPUB Protection shift. Trust. You made huh? in the industry. Yeah, so that was my first national legal innovation called the IPUB Protection Trust. Now there's a whole genre of trust, different organizations call it different things, but it all is based on that single premise of what the IPUB Protection Trust is. And we're going to have a separate podcast, a legal technical podcast yeah, on, on things of that nature. But this is about operations. What qualifies me? And then what is my experience? And what makes people a successful, successful law firm? Absolutely. So what happened really quickly in this national organization is within a year, the head of the national organization said, hey, people in the hallways have been talking. They want to know what you're doing. Your business has grown so much. And theirs isn't. Can you teach them? So I was the first attorney in in the organization's history that they contracted with outside of being an employee, I wasn't an employee, that they allowed to train their members. And I created what was called the uh, Medicaid Practice Program in 2001. Okay. And there was 167 lawyers nationwide that took it. And what I did is I tracked the 167 lawyers that took the program, I tracked the results over the six month period. Okay. And, and, and guess what the average increase in revenue of these 167 firms was over that six months? What would be a reasonable one? 50? 50%, yeah. 672% oh, was the okay. average increase yeah. in revenue. So that, that started my qualification as identifying, am I qualified to identify what, what makes a successful business? And that, oh. that became what was then Medicaid Practice Systems and is now Lawyers of Purpose. And you that's a short like, story. Correct huh? it. Like you said that there was there was systems and processes and you did tracking and measurable results. Well, yeah. So let know, me tell you the rest of the story. Goes, yeah. It kind of yeah, goes into like part of the success of a law firm. <laughs> yeah. So how did I get to that in such a short period of time? Well, one of the first things the organization made me do when I joined at 99 was read the book, 
the E-Myth by Michael Gerber. And um, if anyone's read that book, you understand what I'm talking about, The Pie Maker. But for those of you who haven't read the book, you have to read the, read the book. But I was part of a coaching group who all read the E-Myth. But five years later, we're still having the conversation on the E-Myth. See, I never read the, I didn't just read the E-Myth. I started living the E-Myth. The E-Myth says you have to build systems and processes. And I remember every quarter, I would build new systems and new processes, right? From how do you answer the phone to, okay, when you're building a trust, why would you put this option in it versus that option? How would you fund a trust if it's for Medicaid planning? And I work with experts who help me break down everything I did in my head into systems and processes. And so I became known as the systems guy. And I continued to build systems and processes in my law firm. And my law firm continued to grow from an ordinary single attorney law firm with a couple staff to as many as five attorneys and, and 15, 20 staff. Um, and from, you know, I think I did 65, or I think I did $120,000 in my first year of business, um, you know, to one that's done, you know, multi-millions in a single year. Right. And so how did that happen? Uh, it happened by the EMIT concepts. Okay. And so, what I've done is I've taken my own knowledge and experience being an entrepreneur and I've combined it with the E-Myth. And what I realized is successful operations, to have a successful law firm, what most lawyers, why they fail in their, in their law firm is because they confuse the number one, they confuse the E-Myth. The E-Myth is the entrepreneurial myth. The entrepreneurial myth is the successful businesses that are created um, by entrepreneurs risking capital to solve needs in the community that people are willing to pay for. That's a myth. Most businesses are started, according to Michael Gerber, by frustrated technicians. And Gerber says, you know, there's three parts to every business. When you're running a business, you're wearing three different hats. You're wearing the entrepreneurial hat. That's the forward-thinking person whose head's always in the future, entrepreneurial thinking, how can I provide services people will pay for? Then there's the manager. That's the present-based person who's saying, okay, well, that's all great, Mr. Entrepreneur, thinking about what you're going to do in the future. But I got work that's got to get done today, and I got to make payroll, so I got to get work done. And yeah. you're the present-based person. And then the third uh, element Gerber talks about is the manager, who's the past-based person, who says, look, we've always done things this way, and this is what our PL has always been, and this is what we did. And they're the past-based person. And Gerber says that most small businesses are operating 10% in the entrepreneur, 60% um, in the um Man, uh, the, the technician, technician. Role and 30% in the manager role. Um, and, and what Gerber says in the book is you have to become the entrepreneur. And I listened to him and I became the entrepreneur. I started building systems so I could delegate things to a standard that I became accustomed to and know that they were being done to the standard I built by the systems I built. Right. And I did that in an operating estate planning elder law asset protection law firm. And I built those models over years. And over the years, uh, my small company, which was Medicaid practice systems at the time, became Lawyers with Purpose. And for the last 20 years, we've trained, I want to say, we're near 5,000 law firms on yeah. how to build a successful law practice. So... 15 minutes ago, we started with a question, what makes a successful law practice and why am I uh, qualified to answer that? I don't know that I'm qualified to answer it other than to say that I've had training and we've had tremendous success stories. We've taken 
hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of law firms from ideas to making consistent, profitable practices working more efficiently. And what we, in hindsight, looking back, I can say there's four elements to a successful law firm. Having, spending all the time sharing my journey was important so that when I tell you these four things, you understand the relevance from which I'm coming from. And having worked with thousands of firms and having built extensive systems that run every element of every area of an estate planning practice from how to, you know, the systems in, in, to do a, a Medicaid application to a probate and trust administration to a, uh, generating a revocable trust versus an irrevocable trust to how to present a workshop, uh, how to do marketing and build relationships. All of those systems come down to four key elements that I've learned. Where most lawyers make a mistake is they stay in the technician role and what they're most focused on, what they get most excited about, what they're always running toward is learning one more legal technical thing. Hey, how do I do a midget or an idget or a digit or a get a, a riff or a raff or whatever trust, you know, we have it. Lawyers right, and purpose, right. we have mids, fits, kits, CGTs, <laughs> taps. Sorts, we have all these different trusts, right? The, the lifetime oh. learner gets is it's the lifetime learner who is well. I, I'm, I'm gonna change that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it's the lifetime technician because lifetime, lifetime learners are great. It's taking your ability to learn more than just the legal technical. Understood. You have to expand the legal technical is not what makes you a successful lawyer. Well, Michael Gerber said the e-myth is created by frustrated technicians, these are people that you know, are working for someone else and have the entrepreneurial seizure and one day wake up and say, I can do this myself. Right. Okay. And what happens is um, they think they know how to run a law firm. And the entrepreneurial myth is just because you know how to do the work of a lawyer doesn't mean you know how to do the work that provides, it doesn't mean you know how to run the business that provides legal services. Mm -hmm. And that's the myth. And so here's what happens. Success in operations, four elements. You ready? Number one. Go you do it. have to know what you're doing. You have to understand the law. And you have to understand, if you're going to give someone a trust, you have to understand how trusts work. I get it. Now, um, don't paralyze that you have to know every single scenario in the whole world. But you do have to know what you're doing. So one is your legal technical knowledge. The second most important element is your operational knowledge. Do you have systems and processes to track your results? Do you have accountability? Do you know the results of your marketing efforts? Do you know the results of your sales efforts? Do you know how your work in progress, work in process is proceeding? Do you know how one employee is proceeding versus another? These are all the things that make for an efficient business. And lawyers of purpose, we've created what we call the KPI focus. We have another tool called the revenue focuser. These are tools we use to help us become better at operating our businesses to identify where the inefficiencies are, where the breakdowns are. In the beginning, as the lawyer, you have to be all things. You have to be the lawyer. You also have to be the client services coordinator. You also have to be the paralegal. You also have to be the marketing department. Uh, you have to be everything. And as you build your operation, you have to have a, an organizational structure and start to fill the boxes. As you bring people on, fill the boxes that are easiest to delegate to someone else to do. So the first thing is, obviously, you got to know the law. Number two, you have to know how to run a business, or you have to have someone that knows how to run a business inside your law firm. Mm -hmm. The third most important element is really understanding marketing and sales. And the difference between advertising and marketing, right? Everybody wants a quick, easy fix. I just want people to want my services and to write me checks. Just have them all beat my door down. And you know what? You're going to get 50 emails a day of companies that are going to tell you they're going to do that. Well, there's a whole lot to understanding how marketing works. 
yes. and understanding how it relates to sales and how sales relates to operations and, and how all those combined is about running a law practice. So those are the three things most people consider, you know, needed for a successful law firm. One is knowing the law, two is knowing how to run a business and having the systems and processes in place to do that and hold people accountable. The third is understanding how to market and sell your services and create value in the marketplace. But I believe probably the greatest thing that most lawyers miss is the fourth element we've learned, and that's the mindset. I know we have another uh, podcast on that coming up. Yeah. But at, at a high thing. level here, um, mindset is when people come to you as a lawyer, is your natural instinct to say you can't do it. Right. right. I'm going to give you an example. My iPod Protection Trust, which is now a whole new genre in the industry. I'm also credited with being the founder of the uh, Medicaid practice industry um, because, <coughs> excuse me, back in the national organization, I was sharing how my growth was helping people qualify for Medicaid. And they said, you can't do that. That's for poor people. And then I began teaching that national organization and then every other national legal organization how to build a practice doing Medicaid planning. That's why I'm kind of uh, credited with being the founder of the Medicaid practice industry. So all these different things were based on a mindset. And what I can tell you is when I created the IPUG Protection Trust, you know what I was told? You can't do you that. You can't do that. You can't do that. When I started doing Medicaid, you know what I was told? Can't you do can't that. do that. Now, uh, in excess of $50 million in revenue later, all the things I can't do, I've done very well. Right. And, I, and I've always told people, you know, I've I've been fortunate in what I've been able to create for value in the marketplace. And I can tell you a lot of people have written me checks for a lot of things, including a lot of lawyers write me checks every month to help them build successful law practices. But I could tell you this, I've never had anyone pay me a penny for what I can't do. So the mindset is really the first step where I want to start having lawyers think about, look, in law school, we learned to take the opposite side of every story. So that's why we're naturally saying the opposite. When somebody comes to you with an opportunity or, or something that's available, your natural reaction is you can't do that because you're always taking the opposite side. You know, we've been the Socratic method beat us up that way. I think we have to shift the mindset of lawyers. And that's what we've worked on for many, many years is how do we get people to say not you can't do that, but instead change the language to how can I? How can I? So quick, long Sorry, I wasted no, time sharing my I own think... background, but I, I, I need to give context as to what I'm saying and, and, and what kind of background I bring to the story. But that, yeah. that's what I'm saying, those four elements. I, I think that's really important. You're right, we did touch a lot upon a lot of things. Um, to go all the way back into the beginning though, Dave, 10 siblings, break down the brothers and the sisters, or was it 100% brothers? No, eight boys, two girls. My mom lost one in childbirth. There, was, there would have been nine boys. And you ready for this? Any women listening? My mother had 10, 11 children in 12 years. Oh, wow. So I give, I say, you start kindergarten, she was pregnant. You graduate high school, she was still pregnant. That's and all the women cringe uh, at that one. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so. Well, good for I was her. That's basically. Yeah, it was. And seven, uh, are, seven of the 10 are entrepreneurs. That, that's impressive. That's impressive. And, you know, I just wanted to bring it back to that because it was quite, quite a fun story. I think everybody <laughs> knows you in the, in the professional sense, but it's nice to hear some personal side of things. Well, and you know why wow. it was a celebration when we lost mom, because we were celebrating a life of a woman who, who was so far ahead of her time and, and created a family of 
seven entrepreneurs behind uh, her. Yeah, very clear that she left her legacy and impact. So yeah. Um, yeah. thanks to her. And uh, you know, for everyone that was listening today, we touched upon some really key, key elements. And coming up in episode four, uh, we're going to be talking right about that mindset. So keep on listening to the Practice Success Podcast with Lawyers with Purpose. And uh, as always, you can visit lawyerswithpurpose.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Practice Success Podcast. Visit www.lawyerswithpurpose.com podcast to listen to other episodes and to subscribe. We'll see you next time.